0: Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from, feel free to shoot me an email. Isaiah at VeterinarianSuccessPodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like After Hour Triage, Daytime Virtual Receptionists, Callbacks, and Telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Why do most banks always seem to be impersonal, slow to answer questions, or give you the runaround on getting money needed for your dreams? Enter. Panacea Financial. Panacea Financial, a nationwide digital bank built for doctors by doctors. Whether you're a veterinarian in training, practice owner, or aspire to be one, someday... Panacea Financial is designed specifically for you. It was started by two doctors who were frustrated in working with banks and so started their own to serve their community. With common sense lending guidelines and fast decisioning, they've helped doctors all across the country start, grow, and acquire their dream practice. Looking to buy into a practice, Panacea helps doctors with practice buy-in loans that are funded in a matter of days, not weeks, or months. If you're ready to join the thousands of doctors nationwide who have declared independence from traditional banks, visit panaceafinancial.com today to see how they can get you started with your dreams. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. Have you ever walked into a space and thought, wow, this is beautiful. There's a reason for that. Architecture has this innate ability to impact emotions and perceptions. My friends at Apex Design Build bring beautiful and functional spaces for veterinarians nationwide. Apex is a fourth-generation family-run company that is fully integrated from the design, architecture, and construction process. They help you mitigate risks, eliminate surprises, save money, save time, and reduce the effort on your project. Check out their amazing work and have access to their square footage calculator to help you plan your expansion or new build. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer and learn more about Apex Design Build. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with offer first. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive, great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul, is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first, or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first. But I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay, so link in the show notes is gonna take you to Offer First. It's gonna automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to Offer First directly. And Offer First is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it, so check them out today. All right. Today, I am joined by two special guests from a company called VetSnap. First is Yang Shi, who is the co-founder and CEO, and then also the sales director, Cecilia Baer. VetSnap provides a simple, secure, innovative solution that helps veterinary practices manage controlled substances. Yang and Cecilia, thank you so much for joining me. Look forward to this.
1: Thank you for having
0: us. Absolutely. Yang, I'm going to start with you. And I always enjoy podcasts when there's Multiple guests because we get to bounce around and you get to kind of vibe off of each other. So I think there'll be a lot of good conversation to, to come. But we connected through good friend of the show, Dr. Phil Zeltzman. Got to connect to VMX, which was great. And the other fun thing is when you connect at these conferences and people are like, oh, who do you meet or who you chat with? And I shared with a couple of people that we connected. And I was like, yeah, got to have them on the podcast. Looking forward to it. And I want to allow you. So I read the heading or the quick first sentence off of LinkedIn of what. That Snap does, but in your own words, what would you describe you guys do?
2: Yeah. So we provide an intuitive and powerful controlled drug logging solution that works across a gamut of hospitals. It's meant for mobile practices that don't even have digital practice management software. They don't even have an electronic health record, PIMS. And we also serve large hospitals with multiple specialties. But we're designed as a solution that allows the staff to think less about whether or not they're doing things correctly and just get the right records into place and get back to their personal lives and taking care of their patients. Absolutely. Cecilia,
0: anything you want to add?
1: That it has made technicians and also practice managers, I hear all the time, how it has saved them on their time. Something that used to take them two to three hours takes them much less time, 20 to 30 minutes to do their weekly reconciliations. And so, of course, the happiness of saving that valuable time of the employees is very
0: important. And again, I'm the one that's not in clinical practice. So why is there such a struggle when it comes to controlled drugs? And why is this such a pain point for so many?
1: So the main pain point of this is that when you look at a drug logbook right now, most hospitals are doing pen and paper. And so when they have their pen and paper, they have their books of different medications for every medication that are locked up or trying to figure out what it is that is going to help them to make them DEA compliant. And so these drug log books, as they use medications, they're supposed to write down the details to each specific drug and the patient information, the client information, and the doctor's information. So with all the information that they constantly have to write on this book, it's often a common mistake for them to make where they have to do a line through a log because it's incorrect information or a line through their log because they have to add more medication. So then they make an additional log. So it's a pain point because it takes so much time. Also with that, a lot of it is that they are having to reconcile or a lot of people don't even reconcile. So they'll have multiple drug logs and then at the end of the month they look at it and see that this bottle's empty and really their book says that they have five MLs left. And it's an oh crap moment. What do we do? So needing to fix any mistakes, make changes is made a lot easier using a digital log instead of the handwritten logs.
2: I'd add that like another analogy that DEA is just like another government agency we all love which is the IRS. And you just think about it, people use QuickBooks and TurboTax or whatnot to kind of comply with all the record keeping and reconciliation and all the reporting that those platforms do for you to make your lives easier. So if you get audited, hopefully don't get audited, but if you get audited, you pass. It's the same thing here up until this point for the veterinary industry. I think even right now, I think vast, vast majority on paper. And you don't get taught how to do this in school. It's not like one of those core areas of focus. Maybe it should be, but it's not. So why rely on trying to decipher super complicated legal statutes versus you still need to go and do that research and be aware of how you need to be compliant, but from at least a logging perspective, use a software that guides not just yourself, but you're going to have staff come in and leave. Every one of them can follow the same process and therefore have a better chance of being compliant. So that to me is the analogy. Don't do your taxes on your own. Don't do controlled drug logging on your own.
0: Yeah. And the fact that it is the last day for taxes, unless you've done an extension, and I know this will come out after that, but that's actually kind of wild to think about that. Great analogy. The other analogy is also the IRS says, hey, do your taxes, do them correctly. And tell us what you owe. But if you ask them what you owe, they say, I don't know, do it. But if you're wrong, we're going to get a penalty. So it's like those WTF moments. This is the dumbest thing ever. If you know what we owe, then just tell us what we owe versus us needing to do that. But yeah, the DA, like other government organizations, right, is going to have their rules, their statutes, and the impacts of is it called an infraction? This is where Isaiah still doesn't know. But when you think about DA, and let's say you don't have your logs in order. A, how common is that? What's the repercussions from there? You wanna talk a little bit about that?
1: So can I give a fun fact really quick since you're talking about the fines of I the love DBA. fun facts, let's go. So the DEA increased their fines in 2023 to $15,876 per citation. And the EPA can fine you up to $37,500 per violation for disposing of your controlled substance, medical waste incorrectly in addition to DEA fines. So it's significant if they were to get DEA audited, that they will have significant fines with them. But I will turn it over to Yang to answer your questions, but I always like fun facts to be able to throw in there for people to know the significant amount that it can cost them.
2: We work with really good advisors at our company, and we partner with a lot of folks to try to understand what might be going on in the industry. but. As you can probably guess, the DEA is not going to give you, just like the CHP, is not going to give you a quota on what they're doing. So it's hard to say. I like analogies. So one is past performance is not an indication of future results. You hear about this in financial investments. Well, a lot of folks that we talk to would say, I've never been audited. So why should I prepare for this? I'm probably not going to be audited again. Eh, I would politely disagree. And we do hear anecdotally, there is a perception within the DEA that veterinary hospitals are a very easy way to make quota, even though there is no quota. It's a very easy way to get a win. I've also heard, and it's interesting, it's just something that I've heard, when agents get trained, when they first join a DEA, They'll compare and contrast between two different industries compliance. They'll take them to a CVS Walgreens where everything is just airtight. And it doesn't feel good to say the second part. I love the vet industry. If you know about me, like I'm in here because I love my dog. And that's how I got to this. Like it's been a decade of this because I love pets. So it's kind of hard for me to say this, but then they'll take them to like a vet hospital. Not because they are the paragon of everything that's right, but because it can get quite messy in a typical vet hospital. So one of the things we do with our CE that we provide and all the articles we do is we're trying to make people more aware, hey, let's get better as an industry. And the other reason why we should is if you read, I kind of think about things like news coverage. I'm just reading more and more about the vet industry and controlled drugs in the New York Times and different journals. So to me, that's almost a signal that, hey, maybe they will get a little bit tougher on us. But to answer your question directly, they don't publish any quotas. But common sense would dictate that the tide is definitely flowing, not in our favor. And probably there's going to be more audits than fewer audits. I think that'd be a very, very safe
0: statement based upon what we know. Yeah, fair enough. And knowing that the DA is probably understaffed like a lot of government agencies as well. So it's like, OK, can I just hide within the burden, and hope pray? never a good strategy, right? From that standpoint to kind of cross your fingers and go. And Cecilia, like you talked about, like a couple thousand dollars. This is more than that. This could be a serious amount when you think about, hey, bottom line, margins in a hospital, that's a significant blow that could make a year pretty tricky. And so you do a lot of CE. What do you think are the common kind of things that people can do to start to improve? Obviously you have a solution for it, but even just more basic from that to start thinking about it, because you mentioned Turnover. So, if there's people that were doing it now they left, and someone else is doing it, and they're doing it differently, is that one spot or what kind of advice and guidance would you give there?
1: So, the best thing to do is probably getting your best practices together because Susie is going to do your controlled substances differently than Jan is going to. So, having the best practices, I guess, if you're not going to go with VetSnap, but using one person knowing how to do your controlled substances. Not only that, but who do you trust to be messing with your controlled substances? Because it's not on the technicians or the practice manager, who's typically the ones that are doing the controlled substances. The DEA license is held under the doctor. So if it ends up that something is incorrect and they do get audited, it's the doctor who can't carry controlled substances. It's the doctor who gets penalized. So being able to have consistency with that which is another good reason to use BetSnap. I'm sorry, I'm going to throw it in there because you can track everybody who touches it. So you can pull up your container number on BetSnap and be able to know that Susie did surgery with Dr. Jones 12 times in this one month with this bottle or, hey, all of a sudden you're ordering a whole bunch of ketamine. Why are we using this? What's going on? Are we doing more surgery or what's happening? You can dig into that a lot easier with a digital drug log than what you can on your book. Because if you're doing it on your book, you're just looking at it and you see a bunch of numbers that may or may not be correct. May or may not even be actual clients. They may be diverting that medication. So it's really a scary situation that the vet industry faces because you may hire Susie who has been a technician for 12 years, but has she really been a technician for 12 years and what happened at her previous office? So you just never know who's coming in and it's becoming more common that veterinarians are protecting their DEA license. I feel like the newer veterinarians that I'm talking to, they are getting more education on it and seeing the importance of it. But unfortunately it's, not something that veterinarians have really had to focus on at this point, because we haven't had a whole lot of highlights on it. But as Yang had said just a little bit ago, it's in the news almost every day. It's here in my local news. I'll mention it, Xylazine. It's not a veterinary industry problem, but it is a vet problem, because we're the only ones that carry this medication. Veterinarians are the only ones that order xylazine. So if this is where drug dealers are able to get this medication, it is a veterinarian problem. It is something they need to be concerned about. Hopefully it's not an employee that's taking it and selling it on the streets. But how well do you know that technician or that receptionist or that assistant? You never know until it's too late. And then you need to start doing the research and finding the issues. Yeah,
2: And Cecilia, that's harder, much harder to do in a paper logbook to try to see patterns and trends. And from a digital logbook, you can easily see, pick out these trends. The other thing I'll add is how to be better, just reconcile and do physical counts more frequently. We've heard of folks that don't do it for half a year, a year. That's probably not good. I hate to use absolutes, but you'll hear from my tone probably is very strong. Yes, you probably shouldn't be doing that. And earlier you mentioned that does the DEA know how much we've used. They actually do. Just like the IRS, they work with distributors and they can absolutely track how much has been sent to your vet hospital. So in a way, they, they could tell you how much you've used, but they want you to show accountability. They want you to show an investment in the process. I think they want to see that you take it seriously, what you're doing and having timely, accurate, and complete documentation of all of your records is very important. And if you just start doing that, that's a really big step in being prepared for an audit.
0: Well, and one thing, Cecilia, that you brought up is how well do you know the team and are they going to use this? People are struggling. And I think I've talked about it lots on this podcast, whether it's inflation, cost of living, all these different things. You can have really good people that you've known for a long time that get pushed to a, a limit where it is literally paying Bills to stay where they're at. And people will do things that they would never do outside of that. And they're pushed. And unfortunately, that's a horrible reality of a number of different things. I'm not going to divert the conversation to, but I think for a veterinarian to say, like, oh, well, that would never happen with my team as a naive way to approach it. And I would ask them to reconsider where that is. Now we want to think the best in everyone. And I think when you're around people that always assume that everyone's like a horrible person, that's also an awful state to be in. So it's just trying to say, have a system have a cadence, ensure that you're doing that. And that's a great start because probably the vast majority of peers that are owners aren't doing it. But anyways, those are a couple of my thoughts just listening to that. Cecilia, you've had some industry experience with a larger corporate group. How do you look at the differences between kind of corporate and private? Do you think that the corporate groups are way better prepared or do you think that the issue is kind of the same across the board. And it's not necessarily saying that your specific uh, history, because it wouldn't take a, a long uh, LinkedIn search to do that. But just in general, <laughs> from what you've seen, conversations you've had in the industry, kind of corporate to private.
1: So one of my main focus is corporations. And it's very interesting because they are hearing about Vetsnap. I actually just got contacted last night by another one that just owns 11 practices. But hospitals, corporations are finally seeing the importance of this. And how much damage it can do. So, I told you the fines earlier. If they catch one of those hospitals that they have 130 hospitals, they're going to target every single one of those corporate hospitals and do the same for every single one of them. And they'll quickly realize that it's very uncommon for someone to be DEA compliant with their drug logbooks. So, I feel like the corporations are starting to realize that this is important. But they're also very behind. I think they're very similar to the independent hospitals because independent hospitals also just hope that they're the little guys and they're not going to get any attention on them. But something Yang and I actually were discussing yesterday is that $500,000 fine that happens to a corporation may not, they'll pay it and they'll be able to keep their head above water. But if that's an independent veterinarian, that'll get rid of them. That'll suffocate them. They won't be able to likely be able to continue on. So it's a very real problem of corporation versus independent, but I feel like a lot of them are on the same level of needing help with their compliance. I worked at a veterinary hospital, I was a technician for 13 years. And one of the first hospitals I worked at, we actually had it in a notebook, and that was it. And looking at now learning so much about DEA compliance, there was so many problems at multiple hospitals that I worked at, but it was not something that we focused on because it was not really an issue. But I'm also talking to clients now that and learning far worse things that are happening at those that happened at the hospitals that I worked at. So. It is a major problem, compliance in a drug logbook. So I feel like it is across the board the same with corporations and independents. But I am very happy to be seeing the corporations reaching out to me because they see that DEA compliance is very important. And I feel like that is a huge step, that they're actually starting to pay attention to DEA compliance with their drug logbooks. I feel like that's the first problem to overcome is, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So, if we're leading them to the best option and best ways to make their hospitals compliant, that's as far as we can go, and we can help them go from there.
0: So, let's get in a little bit on VetSnap itself today, in the ability of it to be integrated with some of the other tools that hospitals going to run. Is it something that's siloed and independent? You run it in this system? Is it integrated with some of the PIMS or? other tools and technology that they're using. I know for any software company integrations, is like always the question that you get asked like over and over and over again, and take that however you want, but just kind of what's the thought process of today into the future, kind of where things are.
2: Yeah, I can hit that. We're integrated with vast, vast majority of practice management systems out there. You name it, Avamark, ImperMed, Cornerstone, EasyVet, BaseMark. We have partnered integrations and direct integrations. And integrations is a big part of our early success because time savings is paramount for a lot of folks when they're making a decision around whether or not to migrate from a paper logbook to digital. And having the integration allows us to cut down, I think earlier on, Cecilia mentioned, like creating a log that normally, if you want to create a compliant log, and that's the key there, if you want to create a compliant log, might take you several minutes to do one because you've got to find a bunch of information from a lot of different sources. With our software, everything gets pulled up immediately and you just need to put in the amount you use and you're on your way. And then the other part of integration that's extremely powerful for us is reconciliation. So the hard part of finding that needle in the haystack is finding out where you made that mistake. Because if you think about control logging, control logging is an aggregated problem, meaning you could be perfect 49 out of 50 entries. But if you miss one, boy, now you got to go find where in those 50 entries that one is. You can make the argument if you made a few more, at least you'd find some of them a little bit sooner. But if you just made one mistake, you got to go find one in your balance match. So we help them highlight, Hey, you should look here because your records and your practice management system and the logs you created when you use it don't match or you forgot to log. That's another big one. So integration is extremely important in our product. Now, with that said, we also serve hospitals that we don't integrate with because as we continue and we continue to develop new features, extremely powerful features, like something that DEA affectionately calls the day-by-day auto report. When they come to your hospital, they're going to ask for this thing that basically you need to generate a day-by-day paper trail of what was used, what was in your hospital, what was used, what was purchased, what was wasted day over day. And on the paper log, that's an extremely manual thing to do. Even for an unintegrated solution for those hospitals, we generate that same outcome, right? So it's a lot faster and it's a lot easier to support your internal audits because you want to practice before you actually get audited and to actually respond to an audit. So we definitely care about integration and we're constantly working on new integrations and we're integrated with a vast, vast majority, i say probably about like 90% of the market we're integrated with. There's smaller practice management systems coming online all the time, and we look at them, and based upon what Cecilia's team tells us about who we're encountering that we're not integrated with, we'll prioritize and integrate, and that's how we do it. You
0: got to listen to the marketplace. If you're continuing to get told, like, hey, integrate here, it's like, well, okay, I need to be told a couple times, but eventually, that's where we're going to go. Makes total sense. Cecilia, what's your favorite feature or something that's unique I know Yang talked about a feature and I was like, Ooh, I'm going to ask you that and see what feature you like. So to put you on the spot.
1: So my all time favorite is the signatures. I know that I already mentioned it once, but on that snap, you can search everything a specific person is doing. So every single person within VetSnap has their own name and secret pen number. And so anytime that they do anything within VetSnap, you can know what they did and where they did it and what changes were made. I think that's really important so that you can follow a trail. You can know that Susie was helping with Fluffy and she's the one that did, I keep saying all the she's, which there are a lot of he's that are veterinarians, technicians, but I keep saying she, I'm very sorry. But you can actually follow who it is that is doing the treatments, who's doing the surgeries. So that's another way that you can follow up and say, hey, Fluffy ended up with a reaction to surgery, and they can go directly to the technician. So that, I feel like, is a real way that you can also check on that patient, because you don't always know who the technician was on that surgery or that treatment. So I would say the signatures is probably my favorite that I highlight whenever I'm talking. My second favorite is how hard that VetsNap has worked on the support tab. The support tab, they have how-to videos. We have detailed explanations on everything you can use within VetSnap. And I am a person that geeks out on, well, I'm curious about this. I will never use it at this moment, but I want to see how to do it so that if I'm asked when I'm on a call with a corporation or independent veterinarian, I'm able to talk them through it because I'm excited about it. And I feel like the more we know, The more we're excited about it and the more our clients can also see how excited we are about what we can offer.
0: If you can improve the health of an animal, you'd do it, right? Of course, that's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable, online software solutions these solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They want to help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. What do you think is most misunderstood about VetSnap today? What's the most common thing that you feel like people just don't quite comprehend or get? We help hospitals with controlled drug logging compliance. We
2: help them. But at the end of the day, there's different ways of saying the same thing. But you get out of it, what you put into it. So there'll be hospitals we speak with, they say like, oh, no, your system, if we do this, which is very basic, what we ask our users to do, and we save them a ton of time, we know this. They say, if we do this, it's going to add to our time and add to our process. And we don't want to do that. And those are the cases where, where we say, okay, we're not right for you. And that's important to know. It's very important to know when we're not right for a hospital. Because in those cases, they're probably not compliant to begin with, and they don't want to spend the time to do it. And if they don't want to spend the time to do it, we're not an all-knowing, powerful, automated person that'll do all of your compliance for you. First of all, it's not legal. We're not working for the hospital. We're not in the hospital. So our software has its limits. It's meant to be very, very smart and help you with compliance, but please, invest the time into being compliant. I'd say that's probably one of the misconceptions that I see is people think that we'll do everything
0: for them. I'm like,
2: whoa, no, no, no. It's not the case. We're a very good tool, but we're a tool.
0: Yeah. You mean if I pay for it, then don't do any work and it doesn't get done. It's my fault, not yours. That seems strange, right? Come on. I don't want to do any of the work. I can see that. I mean, until uh, chat GPT runs everything and just it's this neural link where we just think it gets done. Yeah, you're probably still going to have to do a little bit of work, right?
2: Yeah. And then you have to wait for the regulatory bodies to approve of a robot doing controlled drug logging compliance for you. I am
0: not betting on that for a while. going to crush our dreams, Yang. Come on. We were thinking of a, a much better way to get this all done without having to actually do it.
1: I mean, we're cutting out steps two through six by having vet snap. So at least they can do step one. And step seven, eight, nine, to finalize everything. So, but yes, I would second what Yang said, because I do feel like that is a constant. What do you mean? It doesn't just automatically put it in my logbook? No. You have to have some skin in the game. If you don't have any skin in the game, then you will fail an audit.
2: Also, it's not compliant. We just can't. A lot of times we say is like, it's not legal. If you want us to automatically do something, certain things... It's obtuse because it's designed to be obtuse and we're trying to do the best we can to cut out as much friction as possible from these steps. But there are certain things where we know if we do it, we're not compliant and we wouldn't want to do that.
0: It makes total sense. What haven't I asked about that you feel like practice managers, veterinarians listening would need to know? Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you're like, this is important?
2: Well, for me, maybe conceptually, I think earlier you mentioned corporations versus independent hospitals. And I think one time you used the word in, to insure, and I think you used it as E-N- to E-N-S-U-R-E. And it reminded me there is also insure. And the reason why I bring that up is you, corporations, like sometimes when we talk to them, one way to try to explain why financially this makes sense. And absolutely it makes sense for independent hospitals as well. In fact, it makes more sense because if they get penalized Who knows if they can actually pay it? Is that insure? Not insure, but insure. If you think about it, you're running a business, you can buy all kinds of business interruption insurance. You can buy all kinds of catastrophic insurance. We speak with folks, and the one thing we don't think that you can buy is failure to comply with DEA insurance. So think about us. And I know it's so easy to say a paper notebook that you pay two bucks at the local Rite Aid can do what we do. So why should I spend money? Why should I invest in this? Think about it as insurance. Think about it as risk mitigation, right? Not literal insurance because we don't have an underwriter. But think about it as like, how do you prepare yourself so you don't have those catastrophic events like failure to pass an audit happen? That's what we do. We provide you with an approachable, manageable solution to provide some way to avoid the business ending scenarios that might happen. Because again, I don't think you can buy insurance that pays out when you don't comply with DEA regulations. Yeah, so for the smaller mom and pops and the small groups and the corporations out there, same thing. Think about everything you're doing and not just us. Think about your investment and your compliance processes. Think about reaching out to advisors, to consultants to try to understand how to better comply. Think about all that. Why do you an ounce of prevention's worth a pound of cure? Just think about always like, what are you doing ahead of time to not get sick, to not get shut down? It's really worth the investment. Again, just read the news, just read it. You can read between the lines. They're focusing on our industry a lot more than before. And I've been here for many years and just feels that way. The way we think about new features, first of all, there's two ways to think about it. One is we try to kill friction. And basically any kind of flow or process in a hospital, we started off when we first started a company, we immersed ourselves in hospital. And we just like lived it to find all the processes and where we can cut friction out. And we still continue to do that. And and the other way we do it is we look at all of our ticketing trends and we try to kill friction little bits at a time, almost like polishing our product, where we get a lot of questions, we'll polish out those questions with like new feature releases. And then the big ones, things that people ask for. So, I mean, like two big ones. One is we're talking about trying to use software to help you catch mistakes We're working and no guarantee on timing yet, but certainly not years from now, but more like quarters from now, we're working on operational and diversion reporting so that the operators at a hospital can get a better sense of, hey, it's not to point out for sure you have a mistake. It's more to give you a almost like considered a risk factor or a way to look at patterns. You see something change. It's a lot more important. Why did it change? So we're designing reporting that helps our hospitals pick up when something changes. I'd say that's pretty important from a risk mitigation standpoint. The other thing we're doing is we're pushing into reporting compliance with the state. So in certain states in the U.S., if you are prescribing for take-home medication controlled, my pup just had dental and she needed some medication and we're in California. So when they gave it to us, they needed to report to Cures, the California basically prescription monitoring program. We're working on a solution that would allow hospitals, which I think historically, they've gotten frustrated with all the reporting they have to do to comply with prescribing medication inside their hospitals. So they've just decided to stop. So you think about it from like a revenue standpoint, right? Like, how can I help bring a little bit more money, lose less to online pharmas, to another source? They stopped prescribing within the hospital because they had to do a bunch of reporting in many of these states. And it's not very accessible right now, for people to automate and support that process. But we are working on a way to do that. Can't share more other than that, but it's coming in a few months and we're going to slowly roll it out first in a couple of states to make sure it works well. And then we're going to give it to everybody. And we hope that it helps bring one, more business back into the hospital and two, better care. Because if you could give my dog you can give Penny the medication I need after her surgery right then and there versus you give me a script I have to go to somewhere else rather than just take her home and rest. I would, and maybe it's a personal thing, I would absolutely just buy it at the hospital, especially for these emergent kind of control drugs, which is what a lot of time they're used for, right? So yeah, that's another pretty exciting feature that we're about to release and can't wait to share more about it.
0: Love it. And yeah, time is valuable. Time is money. I mean, the whole idea of what y'all are doing is to save time. And again, going back to that, it's saving time for the people that are coming and seeing you as the veterinarian, which is valuable. And I think about taking my boys when we have to go to the pediatrician and then you got to go pick up, go to Walgreens, go to CVS and wait. If I could just get it there. Much easier, right? I don't have someone in the back yelling that I'm hungry or I need something. So I'm like, yeah, this is better. Let's go and <laughs> do that. So I feel that completely. I feel your pain. <laughs> this is, I'm hearing that I'm like, I want this. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to put you on the spot if you've ever listened to the podcast before, and it's fine if not. But I always let guests ask me a question. And that can be something that is serious about the topic we're talking about, which I know next to nothing. So please don't ask me DA requirements because I'm going to make a fool out of myself. But it can be something that's like broader, it can be vet med, it can be personal, it can be anything. And I kind of swipe this idea, which is steal with integrity and pride from another podcast I really enjoyed. Because it sparks, I think, interesting conversation at times. Again, no pressure on the question, but it can be questions if you each have one. But I probably should have prompted you before we hit record. No, this is how I always okay.
2: do it. So you have a Bitcoin poster on the back. So subliminal messaging, yay. Yeah. It's almost super liminal. If you ever watch Simpsons, the submarine episode, join the Navy. There's subliminal, liminal, and super liminal. <laughs> 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 Sorry for folks who like Simpsons. That's actually one of my favorite things. Um, what's super liminal? And it just yells out of the windows, See some random guy walking by, join the Navy. That's super liminal. So I see that Bitcoin poster is almost super liminal, but not Bitcoin or a particular crypto, but rather the blockchain. I think about it from time to time and we have things that are very critical to be accurate. So we think about blockchain sometimes, not yet, but we think about it. We have a lot of transactions. How do we protect it? What do you think about the blockchain in general and what are some thoughts about how it might help our industry in different ways i don't know if you're going to like my answer what's your answer so
0: the answer is do you need good money and if yes do you need a blockchain if no then there's plenty of other good solutions for data security and i think a lot of a good example would be like a i think it's called filecoin right so they launch a token right alongside of this technology where a lot of it should just be technology because what's the fundamental reason for this token is it speculation is it trying to be money And so I think the idea of trying to have secure data is great. And obviously people need that. There's real utility to that. But what I typically see, because I am definitely of the Bitcoin, not crypto mindset, because Bitcoin is the innovation. The world needs better money. Going back to what we talked about with wages and inflation and all other stuff, we can really take a divergence here. But people know that I love that list of the show. Like, no, I talk about a lot. So they're going to be like, oh, gosh, shut the hell up. But I'll continue. I would say there's not going to be a Vetsnap token, right? You want the technology itself, but blockchains typically are pretty slow. They're not the best at doing certain things, but what they are really good is at keeping order and keeping things consistent. That's really attractive from the standpoint of money. I don't need my money to be exciting. I want it to be pretty boring. And I also don't want to have to trust a counterparty. I don't have to trust that the bank has my money. And we all know that banks don't have the money. Banks are insolvent and they have been, and they always will be under a fractional reserve system. And to me, what I would say is, Take the technology, build cool stuff, but I don't know if it's necessarily like it needs to be on the blockchain from that standpoint. What do you think about the Ethereum blockchain? I think Ethereum is captured. The way the Ethereum was started is that 70% of it was pre-mined. So you can look at Joe Lubin, you can look at Vitalik, and there's a lot of insiders. If you have a foundation, to me, that's not anything that's decentralized. And if you have a proof of stake network, which means I own more. So Yang, if I own a thousand ETH and you own one, I get more say which is exactly the current system is today. That doesn't make a lick of sense because now I can just dictate to you how things operate and how they work because I have more money than you do. Where if you own one Bitcoin and I own a thousand, your say, my say doesn't matter. Doesn't give a damn what my opinion is. It just works. So Ethereum is captured. Ethereum is eventually going to be something that, I don't know, like it's still trying to figure out what it is. It was going to be ultrasound money. It was going to be a new way to raise venture capital. The narrative always changes. But I think if you measure... Bitcoin to Ethereum over time, instead of US dollars, Ethereum continues to bleed out and has not hit an all-time high versus the 2017, 2018. So the idea, and it's sometimes crude, but the, the Bitcoiner maxi, which I don't necessarily love that term, which was done by Vitalik as kind of a just and as a, a negative, but the have fun staying poor, it's like, if you want to own Ethereum or Bitcoin, ultimately with Ethereum, you'll have less wealth in the future. So if that's important to you, then I would rather own the thing that's money. And I think Ethereum does it scale and you're seeing that. So- that's my thoughts on Ethereum in a nutshell. Cecilia, do you have a different? <laughs> <laughs> you all
1: um, are on a whole different level than I am. With Could the... you see that on my face? Could you read it? No, it's, it's relevant, by the way,
2: because the reason why I ask that is if you think about data ownership in our industry, I don't think about it as making money, by the way. I feel like it's a way to compartmentalize and either prove ownership or be able to have transparency. And I feel like that's kind of nice. I am I am not a crypto expert by any means. I'm more because you have that poster behind
0: your back. Sure, sure. So sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I And th- you can I like th- Ethereum get- and we can still be friends. So it's not necessarily negative, right? I'm not one that's like, hey, you own Ethereum, you're a terrible person. It's like, that's fine. That's your choice. You do what you want to do, right? It's not for me to judge.
2: Oh, no. The only reason I bring up Ethereum is like, I think about it as more like the Ethereum blockchain is a little bit, from what I know, a bit faster than the Bitcoin blockchain. Although Bitcoin has is like a lightning protocol, which is on yep, top of yeah. this it, so a little bit faster. Yeah. It's a lot faster. So anyways, that was faster. The only reason I, I was like, think
0: about speed and
2: utility versus just like as a hold of money.
0: Well, think about like records of your pet and having ownership of that versus having to call in and make things happen. So I think that's an interesting conversation to like, well, how do you solve that to where it is my pet? I should have ownership of the records. It shouldn't be the veterinarian that owns it, right? Because it is my pet. So like, how can you do that? And how do you create something that allows it to be portable and easily access those records when I want and send them to wherever I want to from that standpoint? So I think that's interesting. That's interesting because it's, yeah. Exactly. Well, I then, want to see it.
1: then I feel like that might be a data situation of, and I may be completely off of what you are talking about, but I heard a few keywords where yeah, I Yeah, chime in. Chime this in. is good,
0: right? We're <laughs> learning in real time.
1: data. I feel like data is huge, data privacy. I mean, I feel like that is a huge conversation. Every time I talk with a independent or corporate hospital, they want to know how safe their data is. And so I know that Yang and Steven have both worked very hard to make sure that we have our data there and it's protected. But if we start getting into the client is able to have all that data, well, who else has all that data? And then it becomes a whole issue for, I mean, I feel like the older generation, probably myself, would be worried about who has access to that. So great. You sent me home with gabapentin because my Rottweiler hurt his leg. Well, now who knows that I have gabapentin because I also don't want people knowing my secret information and potentially steal my medication that I need for my dog. I know that probably went very dark, but it's a fear because, I mean, I don't know if you all have heard in the news in Kentucky, we're having a bunch of issues and this probably should be cut probably. No, keep going. No, this is good. In Kentucky, I mean, I am driving. I don't even take my kids with me shopping anymore because I'll be driving. I'll stop at a light. And there are people that are getting out with guns, jacking your car. I mean, they're pulling you out of your car right then and there. So I know this is a data thing, but if they have access to what I have, how do I know that they're not going to be searching my car for this information, for these items? It's just not as say, I feel like this is going down no, a whole well no, This is why I asked the means, question because um, it gets
0: into all kinds of different areas.
1: <laughs> safety is a well, huge thing. If it's a
0: physical thing, right? If you have medication with you, there's not a whole lot you can do, right? and from a safety perspective of different things. I mean, Yang's in California. I've never been to San Francisco. I have zero desire to go to San Francisco because it looks like a hellhole right now. It's a hellscape. I mean, it's terrible, but there's lots of places around the country that are having issues of challenges with just safety for people, right? The old CFO of Square, I mean, super well-to-do guy got stabbed to death in San Francisco not that long ago. Like that stuff happens. It isn't great to think about that. And you have to take and think about Security and privacy and all that other stuff, but I think back to the data perspective and thinking about it from there. I mean, cryptography works great. You have a public key so you can share, but then the private key is what unlocks it. And I think there is some interesting thoughts and ideas around just cryptography in general for call it pet medical records. And there are more things that can be done. And Cecilia, you called yourself from the older generation. It makes me want to laugh because, like, for those that aren't watching on YouTube or somewhere else, yeah, I would not use that definition at all for you. So, like. If that's older, then there's going to be some people that are going to be offended, right? So don't. Yeah. So many of these things we can learn and we can adapt and grow. And I think if you just show people, hey, this is the way that this operates. This is why it's better for you. And there's an incentive there. People will learn. My wife's grandfather, before he passed, had the new Samsung phones all the time because he was just intellectually curious and thought it was fascinating, right? For him, this was the most interesting thing. He was legitimately very, like he could use his phone, like smartphone really well. And my dad grew up, Farm boy, flip phones are, you know, that's his thing, right? Like he's done. So it is just a matter of interest at times from that standpoint. And I think we've been trained to have this convenience. Everything is so convenient, but we sacrifice a lot with that. I think it's going to swing back the other way where you're going to want a little bit more security. And that goes physical, that goes to technology. There's lots of things. And so, like, you see these waves, and I think we're going to move back to a little bit more privacy and security. So
1: I would love that for our kids. Yeah,
2: future. same. We're pretty careful. You can see that with us as a company is a lot of startups will try to have a bunch of logos all over their websites to try to let people know a bunch of corporations are using us and this and that and they're asking for it. We try very hard. We don't. You won't know which corporations we work with because it's compliance. It's controlled drugs. To Cecilia's point, we, we don't want people to know. This is not one of the things we do want to publicize.
1: Or independent, independent or corporates. i mean yeah, all we don't, we, the we try very
2: hard not have... to we, we try to anonymize this isn't like a plug for us we're just thinking like back to kind of privacy from very early on we were very mindful that we were getting into the field of controlled drugs and i always remind folks at our company it's like hey just remember what we're dealing with isn't band-aids what we're dealing with is stuff that goes for 20 30 times their restock value on the streets and things that people get sick or with. So I totally think that we, especially in our industry, benefiting from a little bit more privacy is good. Although, you know, the one person that knows where all your drugs are
0: is the DEA.
2: From your logs and from all the records and the state, the state might know, depending on the state, man, that is tracked. It's surprising what you learn getting into this. They try very hard to track it. They track it even better on the human side.
1: That even include, I mean, distributors have a huge play in that because, I mean, if they see that you're increasing your amount of ketamine that you're buying, they're going to turn you right over to the DEA and then you'll get on. They don't want to get in
0: trouble. In there. The distributors so, don't want to get in trouble. So
2: right?
0: yeah, naturally so. I mean, for them, it's not worth the, the risk from that standpoint. It makes total sense. The reason why I do that, like I'm going to just ask random questions is for this, right? A, it makes people stay around to the end because sometimes the conversations are wide-ranging like ours, right? You bring up one thing like, hey, this Bitcoin thing, the Simpsons, then we go off into safety and all kinds of things. Right? It's great. So I want to give you the ability, if you had a question, or I know we chatted through a ton of different stuff there.
1: No, I think I was able to find a few spots <laughs> to in there yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, about safety and data getting
0: out. But- well, to let you close things here. So with your role from uh, being a, a sales director, where do people connect with Vetsnap? Where do you want them to head to What would you want to plug for what you all do?
1: So we have an area on our website, which is vetsnap.com, to jump on there and request a demo. And it's either with my sales team or myself that they will be meeting and discussing how Vetsnap can work in their hospital. So it's really a forum to discuss what they currently are doing versus how we can jump in there and help them. So we educate, we try to give them the best overview of what Vetsnap can do to give them the confidence that it is the right choice to move forward with Vetsnap. So again, if they go to our website, Vetsnap.com, and click Request a Demo, it's a 30-minute chat, um, and then we can go from there and either get them signed up, or at least they'll be able to know a little bit more information of the importance of DEA compliance.
0: Yep. And I know you guys do a great job at CE and some other things from just uh, education. So I'll plug that as well. And we'll have links in the show notes to all that stuff. So for those folks, check it out. Thank you both for spending the time and educating us all and me as well on the, all this. No, thank, thank you for thank having you. us. I appreciate it. has been a pleasure. It. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on call or emergencies. It's a appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes, and the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing, small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients, and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to t- find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos? Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there. So no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. So type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital, personable small animal veterinarian wanted for well established current five doctor mixed animal practice in Northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on call, uh, 24 hour ER, less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95,000. It can be straight salary, pro sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to watertownpetcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know, and we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of, I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. If you want or need financial advice, my day job and not podcasting is helping veterinarians grow their net worth. Our team is taking new clients and we are ready to talk to you at any stage of life. Come as you are. I always say, bring the mess, right? Like if things are unorganized, that's okay. There's no prerequisites to become a client. Isaiah Douglas is a partner at Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. The biggest compliment you can give me in the podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found. And Apple Podcast is the platform that is predominantly used for people listening to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Also, the new YouTube channel is up and I'd love to have you subscribe. Vainly, I want 100 subscribers at least. Lots more, obviously, right? But I get a vanity URL if we get to 100. That would be great. It makes it easier to find the YouTube channel as well. For all of today's links, information, head over to theveteriansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. It'll be a link to that YouTube channel I just talked about. You won't miss any other episodes, whether you list on Spotify, whether you have some other ancillary podcast platform please like, subscribe, all that stuff. It certainly does help. I appreciate it. Finally, if you want more information, insights, want your voice to be heard, want to share ideas for content, say, Hey, Isaiah, I want you to have this guest. I want you to talk about this topic. Go over to the Facebook group. So you can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to successpodcast.com, Scroll to the bottom about your host, click on the Facebook icon, and that'll get you in the group. But thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me to be able to see the podcast grow and continue to impact people. So with that, until next time, we'll chat soon.